How you guys doing? Fantastic. I'm on. I'll stick with this one till Tim gets back to the uh, the desk. But uh, it's great. Dee mentioned about uh, youth being away, and I just I remember I grew up. Maybe if you grew up in church, I think camps tend to be a real great Canadian thing or North American thing. I think, and uh, um, but I grew up when I grew up. We sort of did camps, but it wasn't such a big deal. But I remember some of the incredible times that I had, God moments, I would say, where I just, we went away and we gave space. I think that sounds like I'm on now. Is that it? Am I on? No? Just take it off. I'll, I'll have to leave it on, but uh, hello. No, there you go. But anyway, I just remember some of the most incredible moments when I was away and uh, just having fun, but also giving space, giving God space uh, to, to actually speak to us as young people. And uh, I'm praying that that's what's happened. My daughter, Dee's already said, my, our daughter's there. And I'm praying that that's what God has been doing in her life and many, many others as well. You know, in Psalm 40, I think it's 146 verse 4, it says that one generation shall tell of your good works to another. And I love the fact that it's not just young youth leaders that are away. My friend Ben Vandercoy, who is, he's not old. If Michelle's here, please don't tell him I'm saying this. But he's not old, but he's a, a generation above. He's not quite as old as I am. But I love the fact that he's there and he'll be telling the next generation of the goodness of God. In Judges 2 verse 10. And it's talking about the Joshua generation. And it says, after that generation uh, went, there arose another, another generation that neither knew God nor knew of his works. And those two verses, I guess, are two verses that really drive me. One is the negative of, I don't want that to happen. I don't want the next generation not to know God and not to know the works of God. But also, you know, the positive is, Let's tell the next generation of the goodness of God. Not just do church well. We want to do church well, and we want to, you know, how we do church. And I love what the team brings to us and the, the guest services and our kids' church and all of that. But we as older people, and I guess I'm speaking to a generation above, we have a responsibility. Not just to come and sit in church, but to tell the next generation of who God is and what he's done in our lives. I can't remember if I've said this before, but you know, I knew I knew what God did long before I knew who God was. It may be the other other way around for some people, but when we when I grew up in Newfoundland and Labrador, and um, and my dad was a teacher there, and he got hit in the he got hit in the eye by a hockey stick, and they thought he was going to lose his sight. They pretty much said. You know, that's it. He's going to lose the sight in one eye. And my mum prayed and, and dad was in hospital and she really felt from God that dad was going to be healed. And he was completely and utterly healed. You see, I knew that long before I knew about a relationship with God. I knew that God's, God was faithful long before I knew about who he was. I knew that God supplied our financial need long before I knew who God was. So I want us to take our responsibility to tell of the goodness of God very seriously. And, uh, you know, they're coming back this afternoon, but there's no reason why 
the end of the service. We can't pray for our youth. Pray for a safe journey back, but also pray even on the way back that youth leaders and youth will get opportunities to speak of the goodness of God. Is that okay? Are you guys awake this morning? I know it seems it's getting slightly colder, but we don't need to get sluggish yet. Is that okay? Hey, it's good to have the guys online with us as well, and uh, I'm speaking as much to you, whether you're online in the moment on Sunday morning or you're listening throughout the week or at some other time. We are here in God's house, and we are listening to the Word of God together, and we are worshiping together. So, are you ready to come around the Word of God? Well, there's several of us. I know that Cliff is, and Cliff's with me. I hear him, and I appreciate him being with me. And uh, why don't we stand as we, as we pray together? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have the privilege to meet freely together. Yes, there are impositions, and yes, There are things that we cannot do as freely as we used to, but God, we can still come together and we can still worship you. We can still come around the word. We can still sing and worship you, and we thank you for that, God. And Lord, I pray that we will have open hearts and open minds over these next few minutes. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Grab your seats. It was the 29th of December, 1940. And the German Luftwaffe had made a concerted effort to actually bring destruction to London. And their bombers were overhead and continually flying hundreds and hundreds of fighter planes, hundreds and hundreds of bombers. You see behind me this picture. And this picture was actually taken on the night of December the 29th, 1940. And it's a picture, for some of you that have thought, it's not a picture of the White House. How dare you? (laughs) It's a picture of St. Paul's Cathedral in the city of London. And this cathedral stood in the middle of that blitz. It stood in the middle of thousands upon thousands of tons of bombs raining down on London, it stood. And it became, in many ways, for, the, for, for Europe, but particularly for British people, it became a symbol that we would not be defeated, we would not be bowed. Ten weeks earlier, on the 9th of October, In that same year, a bomb actually was dropped and it pierced through the roof and it demolished the high altar. But that was the only real damage that was sustained by St. Paul's. And it stands as a monument to a church being on that site in some form or other since A.D. 604. Over 1,400 years of faithful presence in some form or other on that site. Today, it sits at the city, at the center of the city of London. And by, by itself, the city of London would be, without the rest of the UK, without any economy from the rest of the UK, it would be the fifth largest economy in Europe. It's funny, bombs couldn't destroy it but it's been smothered by materialism 
over a period of time, but it still stands the test of time. Yes, it's just a building, but I think we can learn that it can be an influence. It, it can show us what influence can be brought by outlasting everything else. In the last 1,400 years, it's actually been destroyed by fire three times, disrepair once, and war, another war once. But the current building suffered damage, but it's never been destroyed since it was completed by Sir Christopher Wren in 1710. You see, there is something worth noting about resilience and perseverance. There is something worth noting that even just by staying the course, not only can we be influenced, but we can actually become a monument of what can be achieved. Let me ask you a question. Are you thinking of giving up? Are you thinking of giving up? And maybe there's one or two people in this room that your very thought process this morning, and maybe through online, your very thought process is, I'm going to give up on my marriage. I can't keep going. I, I don't know if I can keep going in what I'm doing. I don't know if I've got the power to sustain it. You see, I think most of us at some stage or other have thought of giving up. Can we, I know it's church, but can we be honest? Is that all right? I know we like to walk into church and everything's perfect, isn't it? It's fine. You know, we've got social media now and we have filters that we put on our social media filters, on, on our social media pictures. I think we have church filters on our faces when we walk into church. The good thing now is, is that we have masks and we only have to put a filter on our eyes. But we put filters on. But let's be honest in church. Most of us at some stage have thought about giving up. It might not be such a big deal of giving up on life, but maybe there are one or two people in this room. Whether you've got to a stage today or you've been at a stage or maybe you're on a direction of, I don't know if I can continue with my life. Can I say, if that's you, don't walk out of this room without talking to someone. Don't walk out of this room thinking this world would be better off without me. You don't need to go down that road. See, there are people that love you. There are people that value you, and maybe you're just missing it. Come talk to me. Come talk to one of the leaders. But don't, please don't walk out of this room if you're thinking of giving up on life. Or even if you're through online and you're thinking, yeah, that's me. Don't walk away from the computer or the screen without contacting someone. You don't need to. See, if we thought about giving up, we're in a big club. Most of us have been to that point, and myself, I've been in that. Some of my thoughts over at different periods of, of pastoring and leadership, it, have I come to the end of my time here? Have I taken church as far as I can? I'm pretty sure someone else could do a better job than me. God, I'm just not good enough to do this. I've reached my capacity. I'm not cut out to be a pastor. That's over a period of time. So I've felt, 
And I've got to the point of giving up. Can I say, if we get, or when we've got to the point of giving up, join the club, but also realize you have something to give up on. Some people don't have anything to give up on, but when you're thinking of giving up, we actually have something to give up from. We're in front because of that very thing. Our focus lately in our preaching, in our groups, circle groups, as being, being a faithful presence in our community. And that faithful presence will transform the community around us. But, can I say this as well? Being a faithful presence will also transform the people within our community, us. It's not just about being here, sitting in our seats, and things happen outside. It's actually when we sit here, when we worship God, when we take note and put what is being said, whether it's through the worship or or through the word, when we put that into practice in our lives, God transforms us and then allows us to transform our world. A church with a faithful, faithful presence will transform its members And its members will transform the world around us. You see, the church has historically been a place of spiritual worship and community transformation. Can I say that again? The church historically and currently has been the place of spiritual formation and community transformation, both internally and externally. So a church with a faithful presence will transform the city around it. Our very presence in this area should begin to transform Stonebridge and the wider areas and Saskatoon and wider than that. Why? Because we have a good social program? No. Because we are the very visible representation of Jesus Christ on earth. Wherever Jesus went, he brought transformation. It wasn't always nice. It wasn't always pretty. It wasn't always easy. But his very presence brought transformation. And if we represent him, which he tells us we do, we are his body. If we represent him, and we are his visible representation, then surely we should be doing exactly the same ourselves. It's not just about turning up on a Sunday. I love our environment. I love our circle Sundays. I love our circle groups. But it cannot be just that. We are being trained. We are being equipped as the church to transform both internally first and externally as we move forward. If we have faithful presence, we bring spiritual formation and community transformation. See, Jesus said himself, I've come to seek and save the lost But then he commissioned us to go and do exactly the same. He challenged us. It wasn't, it's not called the mild suggestion. It's called the great commission. But we take it, do I have any Indians in the house? I do. My friends, the Ravi Chanders, they're usually here. 
See, I've been to Mumbai. Anyone else been to Mumbai, India? See, when you're in Mumbai, you see traffic lights. You see lines on the road like you do anywhere else. Lines on the road, I was told by an Indian, and he said this, in the UK, you drive on the left. In India, we drive on what's left. There'll be three lanes of traffic laid out, and there'll be seven lanes of cars. But traffic lights, you know when you get to a traffic light, you stop, don't you? It's okay to nod, okay? Just even to show me that you're still awake. When you get to a traffic light, you should stop. That yellow light does not mean speed up. It means slow down and get ready to stop. I know for most of us, we actually put the foot down and head past and try and get through as quickly as possible. But when you get to a red light, you stop. You obey the traffic light. It's the law of the land. In India, it's a mild suggestion. See, the problem is many of us as Christians take the go and make disciples in your going as a mild suggestion rather than a great commission. Matthew, Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, and I love how the, the picture it paints in the message. So I'm going to read it from the message version. It says, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt, seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Salt and light. Two incredible, I guess, ways of change. Salt, when you put it with something, it brings change to the things around it. It brings out other flavors. And here it's saying the salt, when we are salt in our community, it will actually bring out God flavors. God, people will taste and see that the Lord is good because we are part of the community. It will bring light, the God colors. We reflect. It's not our light. It's the reflection. In the same way that the moon reflects the sun, we begin to reflect who Jesus is. And we begin to shed light and bring out the God colors. And as we're salt, we bring out the God flavors. The flavors, it's talking about flavors not overpowering something. Too many of us at times will throw a whole bag of God flavors. And it begins to overpower rather than allowing God to bring transformation. We like to bring behavior modification so we're salt and light but we're also a city I love that picture of a city set on a hill that's, that's what we are as a church not, not a fortress although that can be a place where people can come and feel safe and where bring our brokenness but where we come 
And actually, as we begin to live out who we are, the God flavors and the God colors, as we begin to live out who we are and reflect Jesus, what happens is, is that the city around begins to see, so that's how a city can function. That's how a city can actually function well. Unfortunately, at the moment, what we see in the world is too many Christians throwing grenades from the city on a hill at the world around us instead of allowing God flavors and God colors out. They don't see, they don't see a city functioning well. They see dysfunction. And we need to be a city that's set on a hill showing how a city can work. Our mayor coming to us, our, our, our local MPs, I can't remember what we call them here, but our local politicians coming to us and saying, how is it that you have a community that's so diverse? You have people of color coming in and, and making it their home. That doesn't work. That shouldn't work. We don't see that elsewhere. Why is it that the church is, is seeing that and it's happening here and working so well? Because we reflect who Jesus is, because we've allowed him to begin to transform us from the inside out and we begin then from an internal position of being more like Jesus to having an external community transformation. See, we, and this is something that is not happening in many places at the moment, but we as the church need to show the world how we can disagree and still remain in covenant relationship. I started meeting with a, a group of friends yesterday for breakfast. And I know that over a period of time, we're probably going to disagree on, on a lot of things. We're probably going to disagree on maybe some doctrinal things as we begin to discuss that at times. We're probably going to disagree on how to do life well together. But we decided yesterday that we are going to maintain covenant relationship. We don't break away from that relationship because we disagree with each other. We don't divorce ourselves because something they said goes against something I said and we begin to cancel them and have a cancel culture. See, we show how a city can work, even with disagreements. We become an example of a community that cares for each other. We, we become an example in employment, not because we employ loads of people in the church, but because we have great employers here and great employees. How amazing would it be if people from Saskatoon in different areas, different factories started turning up here and saying, I've got a Christian from your church here. And she is so good. Can you give me a few more that are like her? I've got a doctor that, that works in my department and he is awesome. How do I get a few more like that from your church, you Christians? We become an example of community when we train and educate, not just by schools, but by mentoring and discipling by bringing alongside, by investing in the next generation. We become an example of community by good governance. We've got our AGM next week, and can I remind you, we are a church and we are Christians. 
and I say this with the utmost respect and the utmost love, it will not degenerate into a farce. Everything will be done in love. Yes, we may disagree. I don't know how it's going to go, but it will be done in love. Why? Because Jesus is at the very center. Let's remember that. Jesus said himself, and he's talking about where there's disagreement. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the middle. That's an incredible thing, isn't it? When we gather, and there's more than two or three here, that's not just in moments of worship. That's when we gather as followers of Christ. Jesus is there in the moment. We become an example of how we do finance, how we do stewardship, how we meet needs. I love it in Acts. You know, the Holy Spirit comes and, and we, we focus so much attention over the years on the gifts of the Spirit and the things of the Spirit. And actually, one of the things that gets lost is there was no unmet need among them. How incredible is that? That simple thing. There was no unmet need. They didn't join a hippie commune. They just said, hey, if there's need, I, have, I am a steward, not an owner. I am a steward of my resources. What happens to stewards? They work it so that they can use it the best way. And if it's, if it's not mine and I can use it for someone else's good, then I hand it over because I don't own it. God owns it. We have an investment and a long-term view of what we're doing. Last week I talked about being shareholders, not consumers of a Christian product. Staniel, it's Staniel, Stanley Horowitz, who was a, a Christian theologian and academic, said this. He said, the gospel needs to be witnessed. You see, not just preached, but seen and experienced. I, I don't have a problem with, with people preaching on the street as long as that street preacher is living and experiencing the gospel with their friends around them. You see, it can be easy, easy to shout verses at someone as they walk past because you have no long-term relationship or covenant with that person. But if someone sees you day in, day out, living out who Jesus is, that's going to have an effect on them. And as salt and light... Attention is brought to Jesus. If you've been around church for any length of time, you'll have probably heard Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It's a favorite verse of many people. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. See, but there's a context in that we can't just grab that verse by itself and say, Yeah, God's got good plans for me. There's a context of that verse. Let me read the context. Jeremiah 4, Jeremiah 29, 4 to 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those who I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You see, the context of that verse is they were sent away, they were taken away, they were brought into exile essentially slavery in Babylon. 
And God is saying, yeah, but I still have plans for you. This is what he goes on to say. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, this is a really tough verse. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. They were in exile. There would have been battles. There would have been warfare before that. There would have been murder. And they would have been carried from their home place into a place of exile where they weren't at home. And God is saying, hold on a second. In that place, I've got plans for you. And seek the prosperity and peace of the city who seemingly may be your enemy. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This was really unusual advice, and it was actually in opposition to what many people in that time, and can I say a saying now as well? Many people were saying, it's not going to last, don't worry, don't unpack, stay separate from everything that's going on, hunker down, make sure you've got enough in your bunker, Buy enough toilet paper to last for 20 years because the Lord's coming soon. He is, but he's been coming soon for a long time. We live in a land that is not our eventual home, but we are called to seek the peace and prosperity of our beautiful land. And unfortunately, too many of us have adopted an attitude of just surviving till we get dragged from earth to heaven by the skin of our teeth. Everyone's against us and we're against everyone. Well, Jeremiah tells us something very, very different. And we may be, as you two, the band wrote, we may be strangers in a strange land, but we are still called to be salt and light, to bring transformation, spiritual formation in this land, in our time, because we do not know how long our time will last. But we don't just hunker down, keep to ourselves. We actually bring community transformation, transformation and peace. Jeremiah is saying, love your city. Seek its shalom, its peace, its community prospering. Build houses, take ground, establish a presence, invest in the city, plant gardens, get your provision from where you live, have children, build relationships, build for the next generation. We do not give up when it gets tough. And our faithful presence happens because we stand the test of time and we continue to be salt and light in our community. We continue to reflect the very presence of Jesus, the light of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus. Jesus told us, the word that is used, many of us will know, go and make disciples. But it's actually, it's elongated. It means in your going, make disciples. 
Viv Walker, in your leading, I know Viv and Keith are in London at the moment, but in your leading, your medical team, make disciples. Ben Abramoff, in your hunting shop and your connecting with people and business ventures, make disciples. Tyler, in your teaching and your co-parenting, make disciples. Wayne, in the topping up of your suntan, make disciples. <laughs> Jessica, in your work in the art community and building relationships in Saskatoon, make disciples. Amanda, in your training for the police force, make disciples. You see, Circle is here not just to do church, but to be church. The church is about making and growing healthy disciples. And those disciples, in turn, will build a healthy city. Making disciples can sound like some grand gesture, some grand plan. But when we boil it down to, that's what we're, our tagline Building relationships for good is about heading towards making disciples. We build relationships to get people connected. Connected to Jesus, connected to each other, connected to purpose, connected to growth. See, Jesus made connections. He didn't stand afar. He got his hands dirty. He engaged with his world, Philippians 2, and I haven't got time to read of it, all the passage but he got involved in the word, world around him. He took on the nature of a servant. He didn't think being a servant was above him. He actually engaged with the world around him. He got involved in the mess. He got his hands dirty. Do you know Jesus effectively in his time only changed a few lives around him? A lot of people followed him. But also a lot of people turned away, and I think I talked about that last week. And he had a lot of consumers around him. It wasn't actually till after Jesus left that there was a, a mass following of this Jesus. After he died and rose again and was taken into heaven, he literally only changed a few lives around him. But he engaged with humility. He engaged with love. He engaged with compassion. He engaged with patience. He engaged with long-suffering. He engaged with goodness. He engaged with kindness. Can we do the same? We don't shout at people about the issues of their life. We engage with the mess of the world around us. And Jesus actually at that time didn't change the world. He changed his world. He didn't complain that his human rights had been violated, and they definitely were. But he demonstrated God's love for mankind. Can we? Can we do that? In the middle of maybe inconvenience for some and hardship for others, can we still demonstrate God's love for our community? He didn't bring revolution, he brought evolution. He didn't come to topple governments and create a new world order. He came to change people's hearts. And like Jesus, we're called to engage with our world. We represent Christ in sport, in the arts, in politics, in engineering, in education, in technology, in the family. 
And we change our world not by legislating for Christianity, but by seeing people become more like Jesus. Acts 1, verse 8. And this is Jesus talking to those few people around him at the time. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You see, in that moment, he's talking about you'll be witnesses both to your neighbors, but also going outwards to your community, to those that are like you, that are close to you, those that are like you, unlike you, but are close, those that are far away and completely unlike you. You will be my witnesses. And we are called to do the same, to transform the city and our world. We're called to reach locally, but we're also called to reach globally. I love the fact that here at Circle, we don't try and do, we don't try and be everything to everyone. But what we are able to do is link with some great partners, both locally and globally, to help with our transformation of our city. As we head into November, many of you will remember it's Giving Tuesday coming up. Can I encourage you to think about what can I give of the overflow of my life so that we can actually be part of that local and global transformation? Our generosity fund is one of the ways that we partner locally and globally to see lives transformed. Imagine, imagine, if you will, that we stay here that our presence continues, our money not just sustaining our building but investing in people and our local and global partnerships and seeing our world and the world transformed by Jesus. Yes, like St. Paul's, we may sustain damage. We may be targeted by the enemy. We may have people come and go, but our faithful presence will remain a place that causes people to come for refuge, for healing from brokenness, for provision. Our faithful presence, our continued faithful presence will allow us to speak Jesus, to reflect Jesus to the world around us. Can we engage the world in the same manner that Jesus did? And maybe, just maybe, we may get a glimpse of the transformation that he saw, the transformation that began with him. Our faithful presence in this area, in this city, can bring shalom, peace for our city. Faithful presence will allow us to see lives transformed. You know, many times... What happens when, when things, when people prosper? The poor get left behind. Micah 6 addresses this to the children of Israel. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Act justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly before your God. You see, our giving, our presence, our lives has transformed and will continue to transform our community. But as we grow, as our lives grow, 
both individually and as a community. Let's not forget we have been commissioned to love kindness, walk humbly, be merciful. And like St. Paul's Cathedral, we become a symbol of faithful presence. We don't just start doing that, but we continue. Galatians 9, sorry, Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10. And sorry, guys, I haven't put this up for you. But it says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It's not just about starting. It's about going, keeping going, keeping investing. Being a faithful presence in our community. We start with those within our community, within, it, within our church community, and we work outwards. We want to see needs met within this place and then needs met the people in our world. And as we do that, we become the vehicle by which our world sees and experiences Jesus. A place of spiritual worship and community transformation because of our faithful presence can I pray with you the team I'd love the worship team to come back as well father God I thank you for your word God I thank you for what you've already accomplished because of our faithful presence in this place but God we're not ending we're not finished yet we're not called to, to stop where we are. We are called to grow and to move forward and to continue to be a faithful presence in this place. God, I pray for our surrounding areas. God, that we, maybe in our small ways, we'll see and make disciples, but those disciples will see their lives transformed their families transformed, their workplaces transformed. Thank you, God. I'd love every head to be just kept bowed, every eye to be closed. There'll be one or two team that'll be looking around just to help me in a few moments. But in these moments, I want to speak to a couple of groups of people. First group, you... You've never made a decision to follow Jesus. It might not be your first time. You might have been coming to church from all your life, but you have never said yes to Jesus. You've never stepped across the line into that place of saying, he's my Lord and Savior. I ask for forgiveness of my sin. I ask to be part of the family. I'd love to be able to pray with you in a moment if you're ready to step across that line and say yes to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to do something simple in a moment. Let's just simply put your hand in the air. And then we're going to pray together. There's nothing magical about the hand going up. It just helps me. I love to know who I'm praying with. Or maybe you're here and you've made a decision before. But you've gone away. You've stepped out of that, that place of, of family, that place of relationship with Jesus. And you know it's time to come home. 
asking you to put your hand up as well. Or maybe you're a younger person. You've grown up in church. And your relationship with God has always been through your parents. And maybe, you're like me, you were one of those people that knew your parents had told you about God, about what he's done for them. But now it's time for you to know God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're in any of those groups, you're ready to say yes to Jesus. I'd love for you right now just to put your hand in the air. Maybe give me a wave if you can. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I'd love to know who I'm praying with. Thank you over here. Who else is ready to say yes? Thank you down there. Maybe you're through online. And at the moment, there's probably a coming home to Jesus, raise my hand button, whatever it is that we've got online at the moment, but you're saying yes to Jesus. Can I encourage you to do exactly the same as they're doing in the room here? And before I pray, is there anyone else that's saying yes to Jesus? Okay. Let's pray together. Dear God, I come to you now and I give you my life. I thank you that you accept me. I ask for forgiveness of my sin. And I ask that you be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for the transformation that you've already made in my life right in this moment. And from this moment on, I am now a follower of Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, you know what? People have made a decision to follow Jesus. Why don't we celebrate that very decision? Clap our hands. Fantastic. I'm going to hand over to my wife right now.